Good day to all, my fellow bootleggers. You're currently listening to episode three of Bootleggers Podcast on Bootleggers Broadcast, your home of sounds from the speakeasy on Live 365. I'm your host, Mike Lynn, and I'm here to talk about all the milestones of Bootleggers Broadcast, now with some friends, independent musicians, and more. On this episode, I'll be talking about music that influenced my childhood with Adam, a fellow person who listens to music. Hi, Adam. I told you that. I don't listen to music. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank Podcast you over, listening. everybody. Go home. <laughs> Literally, that's it. <laughs> but no, yes, uh, I am a fellow listener of music. Excellent. I'm glad you listen to music. Otherwise, this podcast would be very boring. <laughs> oh, man. So the topic that I wanted to talk about specifically is music that you remember listening to when you were very young and kind of how your musical palette had evolved. So what is the earliest song you can remember? The earliest? Okay. My, like, go yeah. back into your memories and really think about that one. My memories of my childhood are definitely like super, super muddy. Uh, I don't really remember a lot of vivid things from when I was a kid. But luckily, music is like one of the most vivid memories that I have from my childhood. And I don't, I don't know if I can narrow it down to like the earliest song that I remember. I mean, that's kind of... I mean, I, I do specifically remember there was a point in like second grade when I was obsessed with the hustle by Van McCoy for some reason. The hustle, do, 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 do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that one. I don't know why, but I was obsessed with that song. Uh, but I mean, the earliest stuff that I grew up listening to, it, it's all it's all basically influenced by my dad and my my grandfather. Um, so it was a lot of like it was a lot of a classical Italian music. It was a lot of like the crooners. So okay. you know Frank Sinatra, you know Dean Martin, all that kind of stuff. So if I could say that there was like if I could if I could pinpoint like a bass like genre, it would probably be that like kind of crooner, um, you know, kind of early century uh, jazz. Were you listening to records or were they all on cassette? Mostly on cassette and CD. CD. Yeah, yeah, my my grandfather was never a huge record guy from what I remember. Um, he was never really a big music guy to begin with. I mean, he he mostly collected movies. I actually have a bunch of his old. VHS tapes sitting around uh, somewhere in a box in the closet. But yeah, it, it was mostly most of the music that I got exposed to was just like riding around in the car because my dad loves to blast music when he rides around in the car all the time and he still does it. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's still listening to some of the same CDs that uh, he raised me on like 20 years ago. But yeah, he would just kind of, you know, play stuff in the car and kind of sing along. And he likes the like the big bombastic emotional stuff. So. Yeah, a lot of Frank Sinatra, a lot of Dean Martin. Um, just, I mean, uh, let's see, what else? Are you talking about, like, very Italian-American kind of influence? Pretty much, yeah. Like, anything that you can imagine an Italian-American listening to, uh, like, in, de- in the Depression era, anything from there and up, uh, basically was the musical taste of my father and my grandfather. So what's funny is, like... As as you know, Adam, one of our commonalities is that we are both uh, like half Italian American, like straight down the middle, which I think is very funny. How lucky of a coincidence that is! But one of the artists that I would listen to growing up, and especially during the holiday season, is Lumanti. Oh man, go like Lumanti! Yeah, or Perry Como. Like these guys, all of the crooners you're talking about, but especially Lou Monty has 
like very iconic novelty songs for Italian American peoples. One hundred percent. I remember singing along to Papino, yes. uh, the mouse, when I was like five <laughs> years when I was like five years old. You know, uh, Lazy Mary. Oh yep. man, there's so mm-hmm. many classics from that man. Yes, you're right. <clears throat> there was even a song about like I don't know if you remember, but there's a song about like Christopher Columbus. There's a song uh, for Christmas, um, Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. <laughs> yep. Yep. All of and the it's, above. It's funny because I remember thinking when I was a kid um, that my grandfather had just made all of this shit up. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, because he used to sing it to me. Uh, that was another big part of it. My grandfather loved to just like, my grandfather loved me and I loved my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a lot of time with him. And a lot of the stuff he would just kind of sing to me before I even heard it in a recorded form or before I even like had the mental capacity to process that it was a famous recorded song. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that, you know, I kind of grew up with was, was that kind of silly, like novelty sort of just really fun kind of songwriting. Yeah. It didn't take itself too seriously, but it was still like good to dance to good to listen to. Uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think, I think that's also probably a big part of how my music taste evolved as I grew older, because I'm still into like the quirky stuff. As you yeah. know, it is quirky, but like there's the only person that I knew who actually understood wholeheartedly what I'm talking about here is our friend Sienna. Sienna, she, really? Yeah, yeah. She was like, of course, I, I know, you know, Dominic, the Christmas donkey and things like that. And I was like, oh, interesting. You know, it's very, very, very niche. Like you had to truly come from a, a legitimate Italian American, you know, household to hear these names just dropped casually. Oh, yeah. And I am very grateful for that because even though, I mean, that music definitely has a place in my heart for sure. And oh, I yeah. do listen to a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, you know, occasionally here and there. And a lot of it is always present uh, in my life. But yeah, it definitely would not have been a big part of my life otherwise. And even if I had found it on my own, I still probably would have liked it. But yeah, yeah I, I, it's it's one of those things that you kind of have to be born into. Very much. It's... um. I don't know. Something about those songs. I'm very proud of them, but I don't think you will ever catch me actively going, it's about time I listen to the Pepino song right about now. Yeah, it's one of those things that kind of just like pops into your head every once in a while, and you're like, oh man, I remember that, and then you kind of go on like a little nostalgia trip. Right. You associate it more so with the memories. It's not one of those songs that you're like, oh, you know what I need to hear? But... There's More another so- song by uh, yeah. by uh, Josephine Baker called "Don't Touch My Tomatoes." That's an that's another one oh. that that I I got <laughs> grown on, if you can mm. say that. Yeah, just like any anything like that, where it's like, you know, you just have this super fun concept no. that you know it's like you just put on for for the hell of it. It's it's just a really fun time. Yeah, it's it's that let loose kind of a you're embracing the culture. I will say this much, though. If there's anything that you could say about Italian-American culture, it's that it's extremely rich. You, it's, it's unmistakable, very, very strong, in the best of ways. Which kind of leads me into the next portion. Um, my, my father would had like this really, I mean, we still do, but he has like this really big speaker system and everything else, and so he would put on like the cassettes, the, the vinyl records, the CDs, all the stuff. 
one of the things that he wanted to introduce me to at the same time as introducing me to all these Italian American artists was like jazz music because that's what my great grandfather would listen to. And so one of the earliest memories I had, I had to be like four years old. And I remember hearing the horns from Glenn Miller's song in the mood for the first time. And I, I was just like, wow, that sounds so great. There was something about like hearing those noises coming from the speaker system and watch in like hearing all those notes going up and up and up and everything. Oh, I I couldn't even imagine what instruments were playing it. You know? Yeah. It was just I know magical. Exactly what you mean. I had a similar experience with uh with a song that to this day I still don't even know what it what it is. All I know is that I know what it sounds like. Uh and I still have not been able to find it. But all I know is that it's a, a song that was played on the classical guitar. And it's an instrumental song, very upbeat, very, you know, very like just just kind of like it's just like good walking music, you know. Um, and I, I have no idea who composed it or who performed it. I have no idea what it's called. There's no lyrics, so I can't really <laughs> look is it up old? by that. It, it sounded pretty old. Yeah, I don't um, know why, but I'm thinking of um, Django Reinhardt. And I'm thinking about La Mer. I, yeah, it's it, it's very much in that vein, but it's it's not exactly that. But that sort of thing, like that specific song, that's another thing where it's not even necessarily. I feel like you don't even necessarily have to have a specific artist or a specific uh, like song that you kind of grew up with that kind of persists. But I think even kind of figuring out what vibe you're into when you're younger. It's something that you don't really realize as it's happening, but then, you know, kind of when you get to a point when you're older and you're like, oh man, like that really shaped, like you were just saying with Glenn Miller, uh, you know, with the horns and everything, it's like, oh man, this sounds so great. I think really a big part of childhood, if you grew up being a music fan or like a consumer of music, is just what kind of sound you're into. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of that kind of vibe is definitely something that I grew up on as well. When it comes to when it comes to brass instruments. I mean, brass instruments besides, you know, bass instruments, stringed bass instruments are probably my favorite collection of, uh, of sounds that you can make. I love jazz music. I think uh, you could very much just leave jazz music running for hours and I will never get sick of it. No matter what kind of jazz genre it is, I very much enjoy it. Um, but especially during, I think... My father had a direct influence on my musical palette, as did my grandmother. And my grandmother was more into the pop culture of her era, which was more so like the 50s. And so it wasn't so much 50s rock and roll, more so 50s pop charts, which would eventually segue into like Motown music. So it was, it was more so like doo-wop kind of a thing like um uh little anthony and the imperials or or like buddy holly and uh the coasters and that sort of side of the 50s and my father um kind of inherited this uh this palette for old country music that was passed down from my grandfather uh center stage it was it was very much like this interesting mix of like 50s music old jazz records and country music 
And my father would eventually become, in the 90s, um, a radio DJ for a nightclub that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so I'd, I grew up, like, the, the main, growing up, the main radio influence that I would listen to was country music. And it just so happened that country music was going through a, um, a renaissance at that point. The 90s into the 2000s and even the early 2010s was arguably the most fruitful time for country ever. And the earliest record I can remember was a song recorded in the late 90s by Conway Twitty and Sam Moore called Rainy Night in Georgia. That's a great one. Have you heard that exact recording? Or like that song? Yeah. It is really, really good. There's something really nice and just soothing about that track. Conway Twitty in general, I mean. What a man. Uh, what every a time, legendary musician. <laughs> I, uh, every time I look at a picture of this guy, I kind of just chuckle to myself because he's such like a, I don't know, there's something about him that's like super iconic. And at the yeah. same time, he's just like super, he's just a super goofy looking guy in the yeah. best way possible. Yeah. Uh, I especially like love that, uh, the Salvador. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Pompadour yeah. sideburn combo, but yeah, oh, yeah. Con- Conway Twitty is such. He, he's he's another pretty iconic face for my childhood. I would say my my parents and my grandfather wasn't they weren't super huge on the country music side of things because mm-hmm. they very much so embraced the Italian side of their her- heritage more than the American side of their heritage. Yeah. But uh, but Conway Twitty was also a constant uh, in my childhood. The um, I guess the the situational irony is that. This this basically reveals my entirety, but if you were to, in the most simplistic way, dissect my um, my background, it's split between like Italian American culture and Italian. I mean, and uh, Irish American culture, and so on that side of things is where the the country music started to become prevalent. And I mean, eventually, my grandmother stopped listening to the pop charts because once it once it started to shift away from disco and going into like bubblegum pop and everything she started to kind of like lose interest in that side and then country music sometime around that era also started to have some pop influence along with rock influence and so you had like all these interesting meshes of musical uh combinations all at the late eighties into the nineties. That's when you started to see like Dolly Parton becoming like front and center and, um, uh, George Jones doing his thing and, and like all these different, it was an, it was a beautiful time for country to exist and country became really, really cool in the nineties. Everybody was doing it. You know, everybody was doing it. Everybody. Yeah, was, no, wanted to be you're country. not wrong. You know, yeah, you're not wrong, and I feel like the 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 echoes of that are still kind of felt today because yeah, I mean, country is definitely not in the same form that it was back then. Oh no, like at all. But but yeah, I think I think that time period was 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 pretty. I think it was responsible for a lot of the ways in which country has kind of become and remained so popular in pretty much every aspect of American music. When it comes to you know popular popular music, storytelling was very hyper specific at that point. 
even if right. the songs sounded somewhat similar to each other, which is you're going to have that no matter what time era you're in, it's yeah, going to it happen. just comes with the genre. It's it's for one sure. of those things where it's formulaic, but it's formulaic for a good reason, in the sense mm. that you know when it comes to that genre, yeah, the storytelling is often what you want to take center stage, and so it's yeah. much more about kind of being in the feeling of it or kind of connecting with it than it is about actually listening to it for entertainment purposes. I would feel like there were a lot of it was very nostalgic, and that would I guess like you know here we are, our generation is very nostalgic, but. The storytelling was very, very, very specific to the point that no two songs were the same. And you could be like, okay, this is like the song Old Red, for example. You're like, wow, nobody ever talks about a love interest that like resulted in this guy getting in, in prison and then taking care of like this uh, a bloodhound or a basset hound. And eventually using that as a way to get out of prison in Georgia. Very interesting story. Or like the, anytime you hear Reba talking about like the, the night that the lights went out in Georgia or something like that, or anything by Tim McGraw or Alan Jackson or Garth Brooks, there, there was extremely specific storytelling that you could not mistake. Right. Very, very powerful stuff. And I mean, it's a, it's a real shame that right now this is going to sound dated by the time that this is published in 2021, I hope. But I mean, right now, country music is the same instrumentation and it's the same song over and over and over again ever since the mid-2010s. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, there is a market for it, or you know, it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't continue to persist like that. But yeah, I think Indeed. I think using country to point out a shift in values and music in general is a really good way to go about it. Because uh, I agree with everything you're saying when it comes to the storytelling aspect and how things have kind of changed for better Very or for worse, much. depending on who you're on who you're talking about. But as someone who myself says that I'm not super into country music, j- the reason I say that is because country is such a broad thing. But I feel like when most people talk about country music nowadays it is that specific sect of country music and so for anyone that i would for anyone that you know isn't interested in country music or doesn't really know anything about it or doesn't really listen to a lot of country music i think you'd be surprised at what you could find if you just kind of go back in time a little bit and listen to some of the older things because there are going to be some holdovers um that you did hear back then that you still hear nowadays but the context is completely different I grew up listening to a lot of Western and I remember distinctly because my, my father was very much influenced by the same music that I'm about to talk about, but Hank Williams senior was a name that I was very familiar with. And I remember listening to songs like, um, Hey, good looking or Jambalaya and I just, or, or Kalijah even. And I was just like, I don't really understand why this sounds so old, but it sounds really nice. That honky tonk kind of a twang that Hank Williams Sr. was putting out was one of a kind. And even Johnny Cash was a big part of my childhood too. But that is such a stark contrast from the bro country that we currently have. 
even the 2000s country was very sentimental of like the, I would say circa 1960s and 1950s. If you hear like Dwight Yoakam, you can compare him to like that twang of the 50s and 60s. And man, that was a Dwight very commonality. Yeah, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that name in forever. Oh man, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, he did. I, I mean, he did a lot of cover songs, but still, he did. Yeah, Dwight Yoakam. That is a very unique name, by the way. Oh yeah, oh, I don't yeah. think I don't think anyone could mistake Dwight Yoakam for anyone else. No, and Alan Jackson was an extremely large part of my childhood too. I mean, the man released such a a wide discography of good songs. Oh, it's gigantic. It's ridiculous. Honestly, I think that's a huge barrier to entry when it comes to this kind of stuff because there's just so much to go over that it's like, where do you start? And then once you do start, where do you go from there? No, know? we could we could have an entire show on circa nineties through two thousand ten country music. Yeah, that's basically what this what this uh, segment has turned into. It sure has. <laughs> not that it's a bad thing. No, not We're at all. We'll get into the pop charts soon, but I think that. Roughly around, I would say like the the mid 2010s is when country music started to shift away from rock and and its background with 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 just being nostalgic of of the hits of yesteryear and started to shift into more so what it is today. I think was influenced not directly by, but probably as a result of Taylor Swift emerging into this genre. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. Once she started to shift into pop and away from country music, I don't, side note, I don't hate Taylor Swift and I enjoy her early work. Yeah, um, her newest new drop actually isn't that bad either. Yeah, it's uh, very I was, I was very pleasantly surprised, yeah. Yeah, it's very nice. But once she started to shift into pop, country music followed her because that's what was selling. And I think that's when we started to notice that record labels were starting to shift away from the the history and storytelling of country music and just going into like what is selling and what is working and i guess yeah. the i would argue that like the not to say like the laziness but like the the repetitiveness and like the very dryness of modern country music is an is a thermometer of the times like everything is very melancholy and repetitive and so to have a bunch of music that exemplifies that goes to show you where we are in the world right now. Yeah. Not that it's a bad thing. It's just, it's a product of our era, just like all music is. Yeah. You always have to look at the context surrounding any genre or any movement in music, because it'll tell you a lot about sure. the, the feeling or about where, at least where people were coming from, both on the creation side and the consuming side. We were very young when what happened on September 11th happened, but there was a lot of music that was influenced as a result of that. And I think that's very interesting. Like we grew up through an era of like extreme Americana, like America's the best, you know, like um, yeah. we're, we're strong, we're put together and everything like that. And, and like country music was bombastic as a result of that. And I think that's, maybe why country music was doing as strong as it was. It was already doing great. And I think like the the nationalism that came with the times really like pushed country music into a whole new territory. 
of of like patriotic kind of uh rhetoric i guess yeah and i think it's interesting that you know we can we can see these giant movements happen when it comes to a time where we kind of need music to help us get through something right mm-hmm. i think country music i think people who denounce country music uh completely I kind of fail to realize why it's so significant in the first place or why so many people connect with it. And it's like, you know, you can, you can have your own personal tastes and, and opinions and influences and, that, and that's fine. Um, but I think something that people really need to understand when it comes to specific genres of music is that they exist for a reason and they exist for specific audiences. And if you take the time to kind of think about the context, again, of what's happening surrounding that genre at different points in time, like uh, like you always point out, Mike. Um, then yeah, I think I think that even if you don't like the music, you can kind of come to see an appreciation for what that music is doing. And I 100% agree with you. I think that at the time, country music was something that a lot of people kind of relied on to have that sense of patriotism come back to them, or rather to reinforce their sense of patriotism at a time where America kind of really needed it. We were very lost and, and confused at that point. And I think that music was something that really brought everybody together for sure. Yeah. I remember what's interesting is that there's a show that I have on our program that is um I call it the wrench the ranch hand renaissance. And it's supposed to be like that era of music that I'm talking about, that nineties through the two thousand tens of country music. Not just because it's sentimental to me and it means a lot, but because I would argue that it is one of the most historically significant eras of music. Similar to how the 60s was dominated by rock and roll or classic rock as we know it today. Like when you when you hear classic rock of the 60s, the first thing that goes through my mind is like, this is the music that people were using to get through the Vietnam war and civil rights movements or overall, like to just, you know, push the counterculture of like, you know, free love and, uh, you know, like drug use and stuff like that. Right. But in, in, even into the seventies too, but I would say that country music was very much revolving around, the 90s and the in the 2000s i mean it was already strong in the 90s but once the 2000s hit i mean you really felt it then but i mean of course that is not the only music that i would say influenced my childhood for example one of the first other songs that i remember hearing on the radio for the first time that wasn't country music was Mambo number five. Oh jeez. Oh man. Yep. Mambo number five. This is Mambo number five. That that sure is a song that exists. Mm-hmm. It is. And now it's very dated and not cool. But then <laughs> it was extremely cool and not dated. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny to look back at like things that you used to like as a kid and you're just going like, why did I ever like what? Because it was hip. I remember yeah. um like maybe a couple years back, I have like these cousins that are, are probably in like eight years old now. And when old town road came out, that was like, Whoa, this is the cool song. 
everybody listen, it's a cool song. But obviously now looking back at Old Town Road, even a couple months after it came out, it was like, please turn that off. You know? <laughs> so like yeah. Mambo, but Mambo number five holds up, I would argue, pretty okay. I mean, again, I'm not gonna actively go and say, please play this song, but I'm probably gonna listen to it after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from an entertainment point of view, uh, from you know, it, it's definitely a product of its time. Like, I don't think a song, I don't think a song like that could be made today. No, and be popular. But mm-hmm. it, you know, it has a, uh, it has a, uh, it has, it has an audience. It was sampling. Uh, it, I mean, one of a very popular song that was doing a sample. I don't remember what the sample was. It's probably Mambo Number no. Five. Was the original song? It was. It was Prez Prado's Mambo Number no. Five. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, sampling. This is this is why I love sampling. Like we we talked about we talked about Plunder Phonics a lot in the last segment um, that we did, mm-hmm. and I like I could talk about sampling all day just because of how much of an influence it has on music going forward and going backward. Yeah. I um, What I was going to say is like some other songs that I remember distinctly growing up was um, Hey Yeah by Outkast. <laughs> that was a, yep. That's, that's, oh man, that's an anthem. Which is just not a song you should be playing at your wedding. But no, they do not. anyways. <laughs> Yeah, I love how the I love lyrics how that are very song, sad, and I love how he directly references that by saying, "You don't care about this; you just want to dance." Yeah, it's like it's literally the perfect example of people something becoming popular because of its surface level attributes, mm-hmm. but it was the actual meaning nobody really picks up on the actual meaning because it's so catchy. Yeah, right. and it's like he—I think that was done very intentionally, especially because of the way the song is written. Yeah. Um, but it did yeah. question societal norms, and I think that's when we started to see that dynamic shift like into what we consider the modern era of like social movements and stuff. Like that song was very much like, look, like, you know, even if mom and dad decide to stick together to to make this crumbling marriage work, it's gonna have a lot of influence on childhood. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think you have a point there when it comes to just the fact I mean, it's not like music didn't do this before. But I feel like nowadays it's very hard to listen to music and not have some sort of social message or some mm. sort of other form of, you know, deeper meaning or just sort of, I guess, intent, right, is the word. Like, the intent of musicians has changed a lot, I think, since yeah. earlier trends in music. You can and it's a lot more proactive. Very much. You can definitely see, like, the second wave of feminism in the 60s era of, like, country music with women that were very much like, hey, listen here, all right? Stop coming home drunk or I'm going to divorce you. You know what I mean? Like, that was bold to say on, you know, on the radio. Yeah. You know? But, you know, such is life. It's it's very interesting to see how, like, those... I mean, right now, oh, man, the people on the radio just kind of say whatever they want. You know, whatever they're feeling, they're just going to tell you like it is. You know, what's interesting is that I remember a lot of songs from like the late 90s 
I guess that they were either replaying them, but I don't exactly remember why I remember them. The song Porcelain by Moby, I remember from my childhood and I don't know why. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of I feel like a lot of things happen like that when it comes to music from your childhood. Because like I said, I mean, I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but I have an awful memory. Uh, and especially when it comes to extending far into the past. So there are, yeah, there are plenty of songs that I can trace back to liking a lot as a kid and still liking a lot today. But how I first found them or heard them, no idea. They just existed to me as a kid. And now they exist to me as an adult. I will say, though, uh, I was gifted a portable CD player from my grandparents when I was like maybe like seven or eight years old, maybe maybe closer to 10. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what started my uh, my perpetual having a pair of headphones on me at all times type shtick. Because <laughs> at this point, like, I, I don't I can't. I, yeah, I can't leave the house without a pair of headphones, even no. if it's just like with earbuds or whatever. Like, I need to have a way to listen to music if I get a free moment. Mm -hmm. And my God, portable CD players. I still have that thing somewhere in my closet. But I remember as a kid, that thing was revolutionary to me. Um, and as long as we're freaked out when MP3 players came out. And, and I was going to say, so that's actually to kind of um, to kind of shift gears a little bit, sort of. Um, since you were talking about country music and how that was a big part of your formative years. Mm. And so if, the, if I had like an equivalent, sort of, it didn't necessarily come from my parents. This was kind of something that I discovered on my own. And it's something that kind of contributed to the evolution of my music taste, if you could say that. Um, but something that I was really into when I was a kid was like house music or just like, you know, like like French house or just like in general, just electronic music, like techno, stuff like that. Electronic. Uh, yeah. And so one group or I, I guess I should say duo that super, super influenced my music taste was Daft Punk. And I think oh, the reason man. why, and I think the reason why I gravitated towards Daft Punk so much is that, I mean, for one thing, they were a big part of the French house movement and the French house movement in the 1990s is essentially what laid the foundation for a lot of electronic music in general, even in America. Um, like there's no denying what a big influence Daft Punk is, or I should say Very was since they recently broke up rip sad. Daft Punk. Um, <laughs> But it, I mean, they were a huge influence and there was definitely a point in my life where I had a, I had an MP3 player that was obviously the step up upgrade from my portable CD player. I had like a little Sony Walkman and I, I, I kid you not, there was literally a point in my life, I think in like maybe fifth or sixth grade where I must have listened to the Alive 2007 album from Daft Punk <laughs> like every single day. For like a year straight, like I, I don't. <laughs> I was obsessed, dude. I was, I was obsessed, and I think a big reason why I was so into, yeah, like I think a big reason why I was into Daft Punk in the first place is because it was kind of a step up from what I was used to listening to because it had a lot of those elements. Like it was electronic music and it was techno, but they had a lot of jazz influences. They had a lot of disco influences. Like yeah. it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't pure electronic music in the sense that they still sampled things. They still had a very nostalgic, uh, you know, like kind of like seventies, eighties vibe going for them as well. And so I think Daft Punk is really what opened my eyes to the idea that music could evolve and you could take something familiar and make it completely fresh and new just by adding some new elements to it. 
or rearranging elements of it in a way that makes the composition completely fresh. I remember hearing that for the first time and going like, wow, that sounds really good. Um, I, you know, what's interesting is that like a lot of music I can kind of associate with certain memories. Like, um, there's songs like sweet disposition by the temper trap or, um, plain white tees. Hey there, Delilah or clocks by Coldplay. All of those, all of those songs I can associate with very, very specific memories. Like, Hey there, Delilah. I remember it was like a song that they were constantly playing at the local movie theater and clocks by Coldplay. I remember seeing (laughs) it's going to sound really dumb, but on advertisement for, or like for a coming attraction on uh, one of like the Peter Pan live action reboots with Robin Williams. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. I just remember going like, wow, that song's really cool. I wish I knew the name of it. And then I, I mean, the, the, there was a large gap that I never heard that song. And then suddenly there it was when I started working at the non-specific Floridian grocery store in 2015 and it was playing one night and I was like blown away. It was, it was raining. It was lightning and all that. And I was like, that's that song again. And I guess that's when I started to like really think hard about music and memories and associations with things. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's sad if, if not every person has this experience, cause I really hope they do, but I feel like everybody has at least one experience where for either for a good reason or for a bad reason, they kind of associate a specific song with a specific moment or a specific mm-hmm. thing in their life. I mean, I think I know the big thing, I don't know if people still do this. I feel like they probably don't. Uh, um, but oh. like, cu- but like couple songs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, what's our what's our song? You know? Mm-hmm. And it's like during the relationship, that song is like super great. It's like oh, I listen to it all the time. It reminds me of my significant other. And then you know sure. when you inevitably break up because you're in high school. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh wow, I can never listen to this song again. Cool, thanks, bye. Oh wow. Or like you, you will literally make playlists that are associated with like a mood but you ever, just, you ever just cry yeah sometimes but i mean like okay i, I should i feel like i probably should have been specific, specific. <laughs> <laughs> you were just you ever just cry when you're listening to music and you don't know why yes that sounds like really it sounds like really soft Jeez, you ever get goosebumps such a soft comment but yeah i mean same like same same concept applies i think having like a physical response to music is it's, I mean, I don't know. It's not always a great feeling, I guess, especially considering like maybe there's a song that makes you feel super sad or like super depressed or reminds you of like a really hard time in your life. But mm-hmm. I think overall, oh, the idea of having, or I, not the idea, but the experience of having like a physical response to something that you're listening to is one of my favorite things. And the best part about it is that it doesn't always come from places that like you would expect, like there were definitely a few songs off the top of my head that I could say every single time I listen to them, I'll get goosebumps or I'll have some sort of like, you know, swelling in like my heart, not like mm-hmm. in the literal sense. Cause that would be really unhealthy and dangerous, <laughs> but I mean, you, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, a, like an emotional swelling. Yeah. Um, like if I could like, I mean, at the river by Groove Armada, you already know that because of course, of course it's, it's, it's the, the Adam song. 
and the best part is it's like i don't even have any sort of significant uh you know i don't really have even some sort of significant like memory associated with that song it's just it just makes me feel something i connect yeah. with it another one is perpetual mobile by penguin cafe orchestra mm-hmm. whenever those strings kick in I, like there's there's never a time where i will not get goosebumps from listening to that song and that specific part of the song um and i just think that's really cool you ever make playlists specifically like i kind of referenced this earlier but like do you ever make playlists to either convey a time in your life or an emotional state oh absolutely like i've, I, I've deleted a lot of them too because <laughs> oh. a lot of them are really cringy yeah yeah i you know I need to go into my Spotify and clean things up, but like you know, you you have playlists when you're getting really you want to get really hyped up and full of energy, or like perhaps you want to just kind of like mellow out or even fall asleep or study. You know, you have playlists for all that stuff, but I don't know. Like <laughs> I really gotta like clean up my Spotify because yeah. now I'm looking back and going like, why? But Why bringing that I... back around to the uh, to the whole like childhood influence angle, mm-hmm. uh, more often than not, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if this is the case for you, but more often than not, when I do make playlists like that, when I'm trying to go for a specific emotion, uh, most of the time, the majority of that playlist is made up of songs that have been significant to me for a long time. I mean, obviously, I'll put newer songs in there if they fit the mood uh, that I've been listening to recently, but a lot of the time, it is it's mostly just stuff that I'm really familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like I have a I have this one playlist uh, on my Spotify that is consisted of music that is only from my high school years, and I want to make another one. I I've been putting this one off for a while. That is specifically just from college and different moments in that. And like obviously, Adam, you're gonna have a huge influence on that playlist. Because, of course, you have to put in, like, what is it, Galactus, like peanut butter jelly, or or duck sauce, it's you, or things like that, like all that stuff that I'm like, wow, I haven't heard that in a long time. But, man, the more that I think about it, the more that I I realize that, I mean, this this is probably completely untrue, but at least to me, right, like, undergrad was, like, the golden age of, like, electronic, like, heavier, uh, weirder electronic music. Yes, it was. Because I used to listen, I used to listen to a lot of dubstep, a lot of just like, you know, like trap, not like the hip hop kind, but the electronic kind. And I realize more and more now every day that like, I just, I don't listen to any of that stuff anymore because I don't like it anymore. It doesn't. The stuff that I used to listen to, the stuff that I used to listen to, I can still listen to. And I still really like it. But something happened where I think like that period of like three or four years was just a really good time for electronic artists to experiment and come up with new things. And to me, like now it just all sounds the same. And that could just me be yeah. an old man. Um, We're both old, but I really do think that I really do think that like, I, I guess the saying is like catching lightning in a bottle, right? I really mm-hmm. think that a lot of artists around that time um, were doing just that. And that's why I was super into it. And ever since like, the innovation and just like the kind of new stuff to listen to has kind of died out a little bit. I've kind of just regressed into uh, not listening to that genre as much anymore. And I guess that doesn't really fit too much with the idea of like childhood influences when it comes to music. But if we're talking about eras 
in our lives in general yeah. that have been influenced by music. I think like that specifically, like that genre of music shaped my personality for a good like two, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, even though it doesn't really exist anymore and like I can't really go back to that time period unless I just like, you know, make a playlist full of all those songs. Right. It's a super significant memory to me. And even though I don't really remember a lot of specific things that I did in undergrad um, that weren't related to like student media, I 100% remember all of the music that I was listening to in that time period. <laughs> and I think that's a really powerful thing, you know? There was a lot of memories that we had celebrated at that time. And I think it was really great to be able to, like when we got those disco lights for the radio station and listening to the Commodores. Oh, man. That memory is like glued into my head or listening to Frontier Psychiatrist for the first time and things like that. Good old avalanches. Oh, yeah. And also the memes. I feel feel like people discount the meme potential of music. I mean, like, not necessarily. (laughs) God. It makes Uh, you immediately think of the MLG era of of meme pop culture. (laughs) Meme storm. But yeah, even like more personal memes, like they don't even necessarily have to be a meme song. But like, I mean, Inside as soon as joke. I as soon as I say this, Mike is going to get triggered. Everybody's doing the fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that whole <laughs> that whole. <laughs> oh man, there's That's one tough. specific memory that I have where I think we were doing like a student media cookout or something, or I think it was oh, like no. at I think it was at like the summer camp, and I was in charge of DJing for that event. Uh, which was really unfortunate for everybody else, but really <laughs> fortunate for the both what? of us because randomly in the middle of the set, I remember I just kind of slid that in there. And I think you were on like the other side of the like pavilion or like the pagoda. And as soon as that song came on, you like flew over to the DJ booth and we just stood there dancing like idiots while everybody looked at us in secondhand embarrassment. And it was yeah. a great memory. I loved that. It was a fun time. There was a lot of that, Adam, where... Yeah. Like we would have in jokes and everybody else would be like, uh, but oh, we God. would be having fun, but nobody else would. And sucks to be you. Cause we were having fun. Mike and, and Adam were at it again. <laughs> classic, the classic Mike and Adam show. <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyway, um, everybody, that was the Mike and Adam show episode three, because he's never going to have another guest ever, ever. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's just going to be the Mike and Adam show forever. Oh God. I'm oh no. You were talking about like music catching lightning in a bottle. In 2012 is when I can distinctly remember hearing Taylor Swift's influence, like collateral damage on country music. And I went, oh no, I hope this isn't where it was going. And it was. And at that same time, I was like, I need to discover my true musical palette and find myself. And that's when I started going into big band and like 50s rock and, and such that. And that kind of like went in through high school. And then I had other people influence my musical palette with indie music, which I now learned is just bluegrass and rock. So the combination of the two in the modern era. Yeah, and, but yeah, you've got like bedroom pop and you've got so much. Know, like, like I was just going to get into like that. that. Yeah. So um, my one friend, Dave, had one day exposed me to this uh, album that I had no idea what it was, what it stood for, whatever. But I just remember hearing um, Floral Shop 
Macintosh Plus. Oh no, Vaporwave. Yeah, for the first time. That do 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 do. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is brilliant. Oh yeah. And looking at that album art with the art with the like the blues bust, and the pinks, like the like yeah. the Roman, like yeah, the yeah the that um sculpture, all of that stuff. I was like, I need to know what this was, and so I didn't have a Spotify. I was only listening to music through YouTube and Pandora, and there was no vaporwave station on Pandora, and I don't think there still is. I could be wrong. And slowly, I, that's when I started getting into downtempo, and it just so happened that when I first met you, I was starting to go up on that horizon in 2016 about wanting to learn more about sampling and downtempo and, and things like that and your chill music. And it just so happened that not only around that time did you show me a lot of stuff, but that was the time. It was maybe like two years later that they started really pushing it. But like that's around the time that like bedroom pop and like plunder phonics and down tempo and and chill everything started to really become a thing. And now it's extremely big. Vaporwave was such a like a short lived movement, but like the, the influence that it had on everything was un is undeniable. Like you can Extremely. hear traces of it in so many different genres. You just like take like a very minimalistic drum kit and put like a very nice soft synthesizer in the background. And basically now you have lo-fi. Yeah. And it's very easy is a huge thing. Cause I mean, obviously it's easy. It's soft. You it's whatever you put on. It's, it's your music to sleep to. It's your music to study to. It's everything. And for collateral damage, now it's become almost the counterculture. Like I would put that in indie in a very similar category. Yeah. It's just the music if you don't want to listen to the pop charts or the or like the top 40s. Like these are music made by the people for people that get it, I guess you could say. Oh yeah. boy, they're going to look back on this podcast in like 30 years and they're going to be like chapter 1 of our history book, the counterculture of, you know, the the 21st century. You know, section 1. <laughs> like lo-fi music. Vaporwave. We're lo-fi. Gonna, we're gonna so down tempo. Trip hop. Yeah. Uh anime girl with googly eyes on headphones <laughs> working on homework for three hundred hours straight. Have you ever heard an interview from Baby Boomers like on like the Dick Cavett show or something like that, or Carol Burnett? Yes. Or or something like that. And it's like people talking about the sixties in the sixties, and they're like, Yeah, we're part of this new like counterculture man like we're we're against the system and it's It's like so weird them explaining the 60s to people in the 60s is is weird but that's what we're doing that's exactly what we're doing but then people like in 30 years from now like the next generation are going to be like look at these two losers talking about you know i mean they're saying that now they are (laughs) <laughs> but it's usually the older generation going like these kids are they're dang fangled like lo-fi or whatever yeah all i know is that uh we're hipsters adam <laughs> it's time like, to come clean oh, shit like you don't have to make me say it man we, we all it's know it late. we don't have to we don't have to come out with it 
directly. No, but we're not. But it's okay because we're not cringe. We're. It, we're <laughs> I mean, we are I, cringe. It, we are cringe, but not in that way. If there's not one thing that I could say, cringe. if I could say like one thing to like cap off everything that we've talked about so far, when, in, ter- in terms of like a musical journey, right? Because yeah. this this episode started off trying to be about where we came from, and uh, it kind of spiraled into a bunch of other. From. It is where we came from. Uh, it definitely spiraled into a bunch of other territories, but I think like the biggest thing to always come back to is that it, there could be a variety of reasons why somebody likes a specific piece of music, and you're never going to know what that is until you ask them or mm-hmm. until you hear their opinion on something. And so when it comes to like the whole hipster thing, it's like, yeah, hipsters exist. They are a collection of people that generally tend to listen to things that are out of the mainstream or they're generally more interested in things that are more underground. and what I say is that if you're a hipster, that's fine. Be proud of it. But the thing is, have a reason for what you listen to. If you can explain to me why you like something that you like or why you dislike something that you dislike, if you have a reason for that, if you can sit down and explain it and be like, well, yeah, I don't really like this aspect, which is why I don't listen to it, yada, yada. And if that reason isn't, I don't like this because it's on the top 40s chart, then that's fine. You know? Yeah. Which I guess is going to say we're we're hugely influenced in our music tastes by what we grew up with or what you know we've always kind of known but i'd say that that doesn't necessarily have to be the stopping point because i feel like so many people get so used to what they know that they never really want to expand anywhere else and so if if you could have one piece of 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 advice from a a 24 year old hipster uh, (laughs) who's basically just starting uh, his life uh, it's don't be ashamed of what you listen to yeah. but be interested in what you listen to as long as exactly. you're passionate about what you're into then there's nothing wrong with that and I would definitely yeah I would encourage reason. you to explore if you yeah. explore a bunch of other genres and you come to the conclusion that metal is the only thing that you want to listen to for the rest of your life that's totally fine but you got to be passionate about it you know what I mean exactly yeah I mean, so if you find something new that you're passionate about and you're just like, well, I don't really know if I want to listen to this because it's like popular and I don't want anybody else to think I listen to it. That's a dumb reason. In my embrace opinion. it. Just yeah. embrace it. I mean, the thing is, I don't like modern music because I the the era of country music that I enjoyed is not what it is today. And so it's like it's it's it went in a different direction. It's not what I'm I enjoy as a genre. It's not the same genre of like country music. And I would argue that the music that I was listening to in my childhood was the mainstream. So there's that. But yeah, and that's like, thing. Example, you have to you have to concede that the mainstream is constantly changing. Yeah, that too. And the um, like when it comes to pop music and like the top 40s charts, a lot of that is influenced by I I would argue my least favorite genre of music. I'm going to be exiled for this, but I. I'm sorry, I really do not like bubblegum pop. Like ABBA and um like all of the the eighties artists that were in the pop scene, I just it like gets under my skin. Like some of Cindy Lauper and like oh just all that stuff that like glam B-52s, Duran Duran, all that stuff just like makes my skin crawl. <laughs> but like that's that's what music is influenced by right now. Hey, what do you have against Dancing Queen? 
Dancing Queen is a banger. Uh, <laughs> I hate that song. I hate girls just want to have fun. I oh, oh god, this is this is amazing. I I can't stand. I hate Rock Lobster. I, <laughs> I I'm really I'm really happy that I'm learning you about learning this about you now because now I can torture you. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I also hate the song "Video Killed the Radio Star" because that one makes me sad. Oh yeah, no rip. <laughs> but no, I, I see. What, I, I I agree with you. Not that I dislike Bubblegum Pop, um, but I agree with you in the sense. Need that, to like, agree with me, Adam. Oh Gordon. god! It, oh god! I'm in, I'm in Mike's house. I have to agree with him. Real kick <laughs> no, me out. You don't. I just no. I can't stand that. It's too like. Oh, it's just. Yeah, if it doesn't appeal to you, it doesn't appeal to you, and there's nothing oh. wrong with that. It's too. I don't know. I don't know what the word is. I mean, there's some exceptions to that, like the song. Um, I love you always forever is very endearing. I don't, I don't know. I don't hate that song. I think it's nice, but, and like love shack is a fun song to listen to when you're only listening to the hook. (laughs) 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 Uh, Michael, you're, you're, you're burning so many bridges. I really am. I lost all of my audience because now they're all like, what? But I mean, I like queen. I like, um, uh, talking Heads, you know. I love Talking Heads. Once in a lifetime has been a constant repeating banger on my radar. <laughs> Absolutely, I guarantee you. I listen to that song probably about like five to ten times in a week, on average, as of right now. Once in a lifetime. The point is, the '80s suck. No, that's what a what a beautiful note. <laughs> A beautiful <laughs> note to to bring up at the wow. You know, I I feel I feel really bad for anyone listening to this entire podcast all the way through. Yeah, and no, we have that. like we have like a serious discussion, and we start talking about our influences, and then the last and thing then, they hear is the '80s sucked. Get out of here. Go home. <laughs> Show's over. Well, I already I already get, I already I already blew my uh my chance to give my uh my effective wisdom for the day i already i already gave my wisdom so if you had to cap this off with something mike what would you say i got you um flash games also influenced me because they gathered all of those songs and made them mainstream and also like um youtube also like like all of the i guess you would you would call them youtube poops i know that for sure but basically satirical pieces made by content creators on the grassroots level like used a lot of those pop culture songs and exposed me to a lot of things that I would not have listened to otherwise because I would probably still be listening to only country music and potentially. I big agree. Yeah. So yeah, um, Adam's dead. No. Okay. <laughs> I hope you heard that. Now you learned a little bit about myself and Adam and our influences growing up. As always, thank you all for your continuous support and thank you for listening to us on Bootleggers Broadcast on Live 365. Feel free to listen to our live stream, check us out across all of our social media platforms, and keep in touch through linktree.com slash bootleggersbroadcast. Have a wonderful evening and a pleasant tomorrow. Yay. Adam's dead now. Yay.